Hi, I'm Josh Shearer and I serve as the lead pastor here at Gawley Uniting Church. I wanted to personally thank you for joining us today. We exist as a church to see lives transformed with the good news of Jesus. Now, I hope this service inspires you. I hope it blesses you. I hope it builds your faith and I hope it gives you perspective that God is moving in your life. If there is anything that we can do to help you, don't be afraid to reach out on social media or email our office. Thanks for joining us again and let's get to the service. Belong, believe, behave. That's the series that we are working our way through at the moment. And quite simply, we're flipping the script on what our normal expectations might be throughout the last probably 50 to 60 years of Christian tradition about what it means to fit into a community of faith. Last week, I explored this idea a little bit more fully, and it's, it's really this idea that growing up, many of us had the experience that coming to church or growing in faith or developing a faith for the first time was ultimately about coming to church and behaving the right ways, discovering what this church or the community that you chose to be a part of believed specifically, and once you declared those things, once you behaved the right ways and believed the right things, then you could belong. Then you received your membership card, metaphorically, of course, although I'm told some traditions had them, and that's, when, that's what it looked like to, or you receive your name badge. Maybe that's a better analogy for it. You got your, your printed, you know, properly done name badge. That was when you knew you belonged, was when we sprung for a name badge for you. So that for many of us, that was our experience of the Christian uh, faith or joining a community. But what we're doing in this series is we're actually flipping the script. Because if we, if we talk to people today, what we discover is that and if we look actually at the teachings of Jesus and the way Jesus' followers joined Him and participated in His teachings and understood the world, it's actually, back, it's actually the other way around. That first of all, we belong. Jesus extends an invitation to belonging. And then we develop a belief. And out of that belief, we're transformed in our mind about what it looks like to behave the way that a follower of Jesus would behave. So it starts with belonging. And the, and the greatest expression of belonging is at the cross. I preached about that last week. The invitation of Jesus is to discover a sense of belonging which is more meaningful than anything that we can experience in the world anywhere else. It's a sense of belonging that we were created for. It's a sense of belonging that shows love and care and value before we've said the right stuff or behaved the right ways. And our hope, and your hope, if you're visiting us, if you're joining us online, our hope is that you would experience that sense of belonging first, before anything else, before you hear what we believe or what we encourage you to believe, or before you behave any certain way or wear the right sorts of clothes, our heart is that you would experience the sense of belonging that Jesus offers to each of us through faith. And so at some point on our, on our journey of faith, 
after experiencing a sense of belonging, even in a small way, we begin to wonder about what it is the community that we're a part of actually believes. And if, if the community that we're a part of is of value, if we enjoy being a part of them, we actually do start to wonder or are curious about what people believe. And if we know and we trust the community we're a part of, we're actually really interested in knowing what it is that makes this community different. And at some point, we encounter questions of faith, don't we? You encounter questions about what it is, man, you guys are quiet this morning. <laughs> you really are. Maybe just everyone's just a little bit tired or a bit weary. But it's... I lost my train of thought, sorry. <laughs> when we're a part of a community that we know and trust, we actually start to be curious about what it is they believe. But when we start to be curious about that, when we start to ask questions... It comes with it a tirade of doubts, doesn't it? We begin to experience questions and doubts around faith, around identity. What, what, is, what would God have us know about Himself or God's self? What, do we, what, do we, what, do we know, what should we know about the Bible? What should we understand and believe about creation? What should we understand about Jesus and who He was? Was He fully God? Was He fully human? How does that even work? What is the resurrection? I'm not even sure I believe that someone can be resurrected. So how does that fit together? I've doubts about the Holy Spirit and where that all fits together. You mean it's God's Spirit, but it's in us, but it's still God's, but it works in the world? If you're confused, that's totally okay. It's complicated. What about the virgin birth? How is that possible? I did some very specific classes in phys ed back in year... I think it was year eight. I reckon I learned about all that sort of stuff. It shouldn't happen. How is it that that's possible? And so we find ourselves with doubts about all different sorts of things about the Christian faith. Doubts as to what we're meant to believe about this or that. Why is it that the Bible seems to endorse slavery? What did, did Jesus really mean when he said about divorce? What about tattoos? What about women in leadership? And perhaps the question that every millennial, which is me, or Gen Z, which is the folks, the generation younger than me, what every question that they're asking is, how is this actually helpful to my life? We might be all asking that question, but it seems that younger generations now are less interested in whether it's true than they are interested as to whether it's helpful. And so the question start, the doubts are, how does this book well, a series of writings across three and a half thousand years. That's how old all of this is, if you put it all together. It was finished being compiled about, about 1,600 years ago or so. How is that helpful to my life? Those are the doubts that we have so often in faith. Because all it looks like, I feel like... And this was how it was for me growing up. I don't understand why the Bible is so thick. It could just have one on the table of contents, turn it over, no. That's all it needs to say. Because as a young person in life, it feel, all it feels like is that the Bible is just a list of things that say no. Can I do this? No. Can I do that? No. Just no. Super simple. That's obviously not what this is about. But so, so often we feel like that's what it is for a young person. 
How is this helpful in my life? Those are the doubts that we have. And you might be here today and you might have questions and doubts in your mind about all of this, about what we believe, about communion, about why you have to sit and listen to me for half an hour, doubts about all sorts of things. And I need to tell you, and hear this, if you hear nothing else, hear this, you are not alone in your doubts. If you came here this morning with doubts about faith, about the resurrection, about what it is we believe about this or that, you are not alone. Because every single person that's joining us today, in here, online, when they watch it in five years' time, I've got no idea, we all have doubts. And so if you came here this morning feeling unworthy because you doubt, you are in good company because we all doubt on our journey of faith. In the week before Easter, I was sitting down to write the biggest sermon of the year. So this is like the AFL grand final of church sermons um, for, for a minister. It's, the, it's when we have, have the most visitors of the church of a given week, and it's just the opportunity to, to declare the truth of the gospel. And I sat there at my computer, totally disheartened, to be honest. One of our core values is authentic community, so I'm going to be honest with you. I sat there and I did a bit of research about the resurrection, about this, trying to be faithful to the text, and I sat there thinking, well, this voice crept into my mind and said, is, is this even true? Is this even true? Prove it. And then I, 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 I was sit, sat there thinking, listening, wondering, looking at all of these Bible passages and going, how do I, what is this, how does this even, how is this helpful? Why would you even care? Have I got anything valuable to say? Doubts, 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 doubts creeping in and I preach this to you every Sunday. And were those doubts a problem? Well, I don't think so. Because those doubts drove my thinking drove my research, drove my sense of discovery. And some of those doubts I haven't resolved. Some of them I have to be satisfied that I just don't have all the information. And so this morning, we're talking doubts. And who's one person in Scripture that you know of that was known for his doubts? Doubting Thomas. We love name-calling, don't we? Doubting Thomas. Poor Thomas. Everyone, that's what everyone knows him as. We don't, you know, there's all sorts of different things that we could call the different disciples. But for some reason, Thomas is the one that cops it the most. Doubting Thomas. For some context as to where we are in the passage this morning as we explore this idea of doubt, we're picking up exactly where we left off last week. If you weren't here, the disciples have seen Jesus crucified. And then some, some of the disciples go to the tomb first thing in the morning on the Sunday, the first day of the week, so it's called. And Mary goes there and, and they discover the tomb is open, Jesus' body is gone. They see some angels that say he's not here. Mary asks the gardener, or who she thinks is the gardener, about it, and it turns out to be the risen Jesus. 
And she is excited and she goes back to the other disciples and tells them, this is amazing, I've seen the risen Jesus. And that's where we pick up. On the evening of that first day, when the disciples were all together, but they were in a room with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you, which makes sense because they're looking at someone who they thought was dead. After he'd said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And the disciples were overjoyed. They, they'd seen this man, their teacher, their rabbi. They'd seen him die on a cross. They knew that he'd been buried. And yet there he stands with the exact wounds that he had Received only three days early, he stands there in front of them, alive, breathing, and well. And after he said this, he shows them, and, and they are overjoyed that they saw the Lord. And again, Jesus says to them, peace be with you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. This is Jesus in a way saying, I'm giving you the truth of the world. And so as you understand things, if someone declares faith and you are satisfied with that, you can declare their sins forgiven, not because the disciples or the apostles are declaring their sins forgiven, but because they understand the truth of what it means that someone could accept faith and have their sins forgiven. But it continues. Now, Thomas, here's our guy, also known as Didymus, which means the twin, who was one of the twelve, wasn't with the disciples when Jesus came. Now, it doesn't say why he wasn't there. He could have been out getting the groceries. He could have just been late. He could have been tardy Thomas, instead of doubting Thomas. But he just wasn't there. And so the other disciples, when he obviously arrived, told him, we've seen the Lord. We've seen him. And he responds to them, Wait a second. Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand in his side where the spear was plunged in to prove that he was dead, unless I see those things for myself, I will not believe it. I will not believe it. I will not believe it. Thomas doubted in that moment what the disciples had said to him, what they testified to be true. They witnessed it together, and yet he doubted. And one of the things that I want us to explore today around this idea of doubt is that I believe doubt takes us to two places. Doubt can take us on a journey of discovery to explore more fully the source of our doubts and the information needed to inform our understanding to help us understand our doubts better and get some answers. That's doubt can take us there. Or it can take us to a place of stubbornness and pride. What do I mean by that? Well, we call into question the beliefs that we have with doubts, but then we believe and we assume that we have all the information that we need to make an informed opinion. And so instead of doubts drawing us towards discovery, doubts draw us towards pride, 
that tells us we've got all the information, we have everything we need, and we are satisfied that we are the authority. And we don't need to explore it anymore. And what we discover from Thomas's reaction is he gets a bad rap, but he does doubt. What we discover from, from Thomas's reaction is a conditional doubt that reveals his heart. And now I wonder if in your doubts you've ever had this conversation with God. You say, God, if you X, then I will Y. Have you ever had a conversation with God like that? God, if you fill the blank, if you give me a pay rise, then I will read my Bible every day. That's a silly example, but tell me you haven't prayed something like that. If you do this for me, then I will do that for you. God, please, 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 if you will heal her, then I will attend church every Sunday. If you would make this thing okay, then I will do this in response. We do that so often with God, don't we? Has anyone ever, ever prayed a prayer like that? You are quiet this morning. Has anyone ever prayed a prayer like that? God, if you do this, then I will do this in response. What we discover as we look at this passage in Thomas's doubt, what's actually going on there is that we're actually not looking to God, we're actually looking to the thing that we've asked God to do for us. It tells us that that sort of conversation between us and God tells us more about the God that we believe in than our faith. It tells us that we are putting our trust and our hope in the thing that we're asking God to fix in our life more than we're putting our hope and our trust in God. In Thomas's situation, it was, God, unless I, or unless I see the wounds, unless I see it, I won't believe it. Unless I can actually touch it, I won't believe it. In that moment in time, who is Thomas's God? Who is Thomas's God? Himself. Because it's about what he can see. It's about what he can touch. It's about what he can understand that becomes the burden of proof in his life, in his life that becomes the thing that satiates his doubt. It's not God. It's that thing. And I, I want to go so far as to suggest that when we encounter times of doubt in our life, and we go, God, I'm not even sure that you exist. I don't even know if you've got the power to deal with this problem. I don't even know if you know my name or that you care about what's going on in my life. But God, if you fix this, then I will respond in something that we think will gain favor with God. It's actually not God that we are trying to put our trust in. It's the thing that we want God to fix. And I've got to tell you guys and girls, for some of us, we're stuck in a place of doubt because we feel like God doesn't seem to care about the thing we keep asking Him to fix. But what if, what if we can disconnect our doubts about God 
and His ability to fix the things that are going wrong in our life? What if we're able to disconnect them from the assumption that we have a better perspective about the world than God does? What if we could disconnect our doubts and trust that God is in control, that God knows what's going on, that God actually sees you, that God cares about you, that God understands your pain because He experienced more pain than you or I will ever experience in our life? What if the biggest barrier of our doubts was the fact that we put some conditions on God and for some reason He's not coming through for us. That's what Thomas experienced in that moment. But in response to that question, in response to that doubt, it says a week later his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them this time. Verse 26, and though the doors were locked, Jesus straight through the wall came and stood among them and said, peace be with you once again. Then he turns to Thomas And he says, put your finger here. See my hands? See my side? Why don't you reach out your hand and, and, and just, just pop it here? Stop doubting, Thomas, and believe. Stop doubting and believe. And Thomas's response, which I find interesting, is he doesn't have to... The passage says he doesn't actually touch Jesus. Or he declares as he sees Jesus there, he says, My Lord and my God, it's it's you. I can't believe it. It's you. What a response. And notice he didn't even have his conditions met. He didn't actually touch Jesus the way that he said he would need to. Instead, Jesus met him where he was at and he believed. And Jesus says, because you have seen me, you've believed. But blessed are those who have not seen me and yet believe. That's a nod to those who will hear the testimonies, read the scriptures, that's you and me, and believe. And John goes on to write that Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these ones are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. Everything that we experience, everything that we witness in this moment happened from doubt. Jesus appearing to Thomas in that moment came from doubt. Now, I can't presume to know what would happen one way or the other. But if we connect the dots, we might discover that if you know your church history, Thomas, as one of the apostles, traveled the furthest of any of the disciples in bringing the good news into the world. He, he went to India and just declared the gospel. And there are still churches to this day that you can go and visit which were planted by Thomas. How extraordinary. And those things would have never happened if Thomas hadn't seen the resurrected Jesus for himself. And I wonder, 
if that happened because he doubted? I don't know. I wonder. Maybe that's too far a connection to draw, but perhaps what it is that we need to see this morning is that it's okay to have doubts, that we shouldn't be afraid of doubts, but what we do with those doubts really matters. Those doubts can either draw us to skepticism and harden our hearts, or those doubts can draw us to a place of discovery where if we seek God, because remember that Thomas would have been in community with these other disciples who'd seen Jesus. He was sort of left out. You think about this. Seven days they were together before Jesus appeared to them again. And he would have been left out of the in sort of experience of all the other disciples. But in that, he, he doubted out loud. And out of that came the, the most wondrous declaration about who Jesus was, my Lord, my God, in all of the New Testament, in all of Scripture, that is the most significant declaration about Jesus' identity that you'll find anywhere. My Lord, my God, and all of that came from a doubt. From a doubt. From this guy doubting Thomas that we rip in about. And so, I mean, I've said a lot, so what do we, what do, we do with this? If you came here with a doubt... And I know you did. What do we do to overcome those doubts? What do we do to step deeper into belonging as a community and closer towards a deeper belief in Jesus? What do we do with our doubts? Well, I've got a couple of suggestions. The first one is drop your conditions. Drop your conditions. Because for some of us, we've been cruising around with these doubts, as I said. And it's been, God, if you will fix this, then I will believe in you in a more rich and deeper way. But what I would invite you to consider is that if we can disconnect your doubts from God fulfilling your wish list, then you might discover that God is more powerful, more significant, and is working in far richer and more wonderful ways in your life than you realize And just because he isn't doing the one thing that you're asking him to do specifically doesn't mean he is not at work in your life. Stop doubting and believe. Not because he is the cosmic Santa Claus trying to grant the gift you're asking for, but instead because he is the divine creator of the universe that has given you the very air that you breathe and that is enough that you should believe that you are unique, that you belong because you are, have a, an imprint on your eye that is unique to you, that you have fingerprints that are unique to you, unlike anyone else. Those two things enough should tell you you are more than a biological act of circumstance, that you were created, loved, you have a place to belong. Maybe we need to disconnect our doubts about whether we are who we are created to be, whether Jesus is who he said he was and whether God is real from our wish list and instead start looking around at everything God has already done. Maybe it's time to drop our conditions from our doubts and believe. Because I've got to promise you, any condition that we will ask God to meet on our behalf, if we're going to make, if we're going to make that God in our life, I can promise you that that thing will not die for you Instead, it will ask you to die for it in some way. So that's the first thing. Drop your conditions. The second thing, and this one's fun, doubt out loud. Doubt out 
loud. When was the last time you were honest with someone about the doubts you have about faith? Today? Yesterday? Last week? Last year? Last decade? Last millennia? Because that was only 21 years ago. Doubts. If we truly believe that this is a place to belong, then doubts are safe in community. Doubts are safe in community. Because some doubts, all they need is more information. Sometimes you just need to talk it out with someone who knows more about Scripture or has been journeying with God for longer, and your doubts can be eased. But if you never talk about it, then no one can help you. Some doubts need to be overcome with experiences of God's faithfulness. Does tithing even make a difference in your life? Maybe you need to talk with someone who's been tithing for their entire life and has never gone without anything. Can God even heal? Maybe I can get, there are people in this community that have experienced God's miraculous healing in their life. Maybe you need to have a conversation about that with someone. Maybe the problem is that you just don't have enough information. Maybe you need to see and have experienced God's faithfulness. Or maybe you just need to hear that it's okay and that we don't have, that there are mysteries about the world that we are not designed to solve. Sometimes that's where the doubt needs to sit, that we are not God, God is, and therefore there's some things that we just haven't figured out how it all fits together yet. Maybe your doubt needs to sit there, but if we doubt in community, those doubts can be safe and we have the capacity to work them through. But the other thing about doubting out loud is that it strengthens our faith. One of the most damaging things I've seen as a pastor is watching someone's world get swallowed by life. Someone's faith gets swallowed by the world around her. Have you ever seen that? Are all of your kids and grandkids in church? Did they, were they here once? Do we know people who lost faith over time? because the world smashed it apart. Friends, one of the greatest tragedies, and I'm going to be honest with you, one of the greatest tragedies of my pastoral experience is watching childhood faith get destroyed by adult life. And that happens when you and I keep our doubts to ourselves and trust that the stories we were told as kids about Jesus and about the world are good enough to overcome the doubts and the challenges and the struggles we'll encounter as an adult. But friends, the, the truth is we need an adult faith to answer adult issues. And one of the greatest ways to have an adult faith, Paul talks about not, just, not having milk, the analogy of a child, not having, we graduate from milk to solid food, the way that you and I develop a faith that is robust enough to deal with the world that smashes us every single day of the week is to doubt out loud and develop a resilient faith that has answers and hope when the world throws and takes your legs out from underneath you. I've got to be honest, um, Phoebe this morning is in hospital up at the Lyle McEwen. 
she was um, overnight, she had croup, most of you know what that is, um, but she couldn't breathe. And so we took her to hospital first thing this morning. Uh, and I've got to be honest with you, my first response was not prayer. My first response was the emergency department because my little girl couldn't breathe. And thank God, by God's grace, she's okay and she's in this place, place that she needs to be. She'll come home later on. But I've got to be honest with you that if my faith was connected to God's doing stuff in my life, then I wouldn't have come and preached this morning. Because even after, I, I pray that she would be okay. Once she was at the emergency department, I said, God, can you heal her? And she didn't come home straight away. If my, if my faith was connected to that, because in Sunday school, I, taught, I, I was taught that God answers prayer. And if that's the way, if that's, a, if that's all my faith ever got to, then I wouldn't have come and preached this morning because I wouldn't have believed that God is who He says He is. Friends, that's what this looks like is that I believe that God is bigger than my circumstance. And if God wanted to, God would heal Phoebe instantly. And I've seen it happen to people. But the fact that God didn't, I trust that God has more in store, that God has a perspective that I don't. And so my faith survived this morning with an extra coffee because it was well before dawn. But friends, that's what it looks like for a faith to graduate from being a childhood faith to something that is resilient enough. And if we don't doubt out loud, we'll never get there. Because there's people around you that can help when your faith wavers and your worldview is challenged. But the third thing about this, and it's connected to belonging, is when we doubt out loud, it helps people understand that they belong here because their doubts are okay. Sometimes the biggest tragedy is that someone will come to church and say, oh, I don't fit here because everyone here believes all this stuff and, and, and I don't. I don't know how this all fits together. Maybe the greatest expression of welcome we can ever offer is to say, hey, I don't have all the answers. Come in and we'll explore it together. Maybe that's what doubting out loud looks like. So Jesus wasn't intimidated or deterred by Thomas's doubt. He met him where he was at, and Thomas moved from doubt to belief. And I've got to tell you, Jesus isn't intimidated by your doubts either, or mine. And the invitation this morning is as we flip the script on Christian formation... We are acknowledging that belonging happens before we believe or before the, we behave. And on our journey from belonging to believing, we will encounter doubts. We will encounter questions and things that challenge our worldview. What if we could be the sort of community, you and I? What if we could be the sort of community that wasn't afraid of doubts, but welcomed them? Why? because they help us be the authentic community God called us to be. They help us to extend welcome to a world that desperately needs it. And because God is not afraid of your doubts, but instead He wants to use them to shape an honest but resilient faith. 
from which we can bring hope and love to a world that desperately needs it. So can you do that this week? Can you not be afraid of your doubts, but instead drop the conditions and doubt out loud? And I promise you, if you do those things, your faith will grow this week and you never know. You might find a connection with someone whose faith needs some help and you can be that person because they find a sense of belonging in your doubts. Would you pray with me? Loving God, I praise you and thank you for your word. I thank you for the way that it opens our hearts. And, and Lord, it, doubt's a tricky thing. And Lord, there's so much of it we don't understand. There's so much about this world which doesn't make sense. Sometimes we wish you would just fix the things that are happening in our life so that we can believe in you again. But Lord, we know it's not that simple. Blessed, you said, blessed are those of us that are able to believe, not because we have seen you, but because of all that we know to be true about you. So Lord, we put our hope in those, in the testimonies of those that have experienced things. Lord, help us to doubt out loud, to be a community of welcome. And Lord, if there's people here this morning that brought doubts, they weren't even sure how this all fits together or what it all means. Lord, I pray that we could be a community of belonging. I pray that you would, by your Spirit, invite them to explore their doubts with you and ultimately discover the hope that is greater than any hope the world can ever offer. Hope in a, in a risen Savior, Jesus Christ, our Lord. So loving God, would you give us the wisdom to know how to live this out and the courage to do it. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, thanks once again for joining us. If this service has been a blessing to you, why not share it with someone you know? Or better yet, post it on your social feed because you never know how God might use what you share to bless someone you didn't even know needed it. Special thank you if you contribute towards making this ministry possible. We are so grateful. If you'd like to help, head to gawleyuniting.org.au and follow the links to begin giving. God bless you and we'll see you next time.